Good morning. Welcome to Grace. It's great to see you guys this morning. My name is Derek. Um, Just a couple of quick things, if you'd open up your bulletin that you got when you came in. The first one is to all you ladies out there, today is the deadline for the Women of Faith Conference. You can sign up for that after the service at the Connect table. Also, to uh, any married couples out here who are interested in doing a uh, tubing event down a river, um, the deadline for that is also this week, so um, just encourage you to reach out and respond about that one as well. Even if you're not interested in that, uh, if you're just interested in connecting with other couples, that's a, that's a cool way to get started. Last thing that I want to say is this. At the end of the service today, we are going to celebrate communion. Communion is open to everyone here at Grace that uh, professes faith in Jesus Christ, and so we just want to uh, encourage you to participate in that at the end of the service. When I was in college, I had this good buddy of mine. His name was Hassan. And uh, Hassan was just one of these rare people that you meet. Uh, he was kind of larger than life. First of all, he was a big guy. He was about 6'2", 6'3", and he was about 250 pounds. But he just had this big personality. He was loud. He was kind of obnoxious. Um, he was really hilarious, and he was super confident in himself. And he just had this way of wherever he went, when he walked into a room, I don't know if you have a friend like this, uh, when he walked into a room, he just kind of commanded the spotlight, you know, kind of commanded the attention of the room. And so he was always a lot of fun to be around. He get, came to be one of my close friends in college. But what made him a blast to be around actually wasn't any of those things. <laughs> what made him really a lot of fun was the fact that he was a really impulsive guy. And so, um, like, he, in fact, he embodied this idea of act first, think second. Speak first, think second. So if anything just sounded remotely good or interesting or exciting to, to my friend Hassan, he was all over it without really thinking it through. He was like, come on, let's go do this. So, man, he, he was just a blast. I remember... Um, he, he always struggled with his weight, and, um, and so he would hear about these different fad diets and things, things you could try to, to lose weight. And so um, I remember he got into the, the Adkins diet, and I saw him one day, uh, it was after class, and I said, hey, what's going on? He goes, he goes, 80, 80, you'll never believe this. He goes, I've lost 10 pounds this week, dude, 10 pounds this week. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. He goes, yeah, it's this, this whole Adkins diet. Have you heard about it? I said, I kind of heard about it. He says, it's amazing. You just eat like all the protein that you want, no carbs. He goes, listen to what I ate yesterday. He said, I had a dozen eggs. He goes, I had 10 chicken breasts. He goes, and I had a wheel of cheese. A wheel. He goes, a wheel of cheese ate. He went down to the store, got a wheel of cheese, ate it yesterday. It was awesome. He loved to eat, Okay. And so, you know, that lasted for a few weeks, and then he would be on to something else, and then something else, and he was all fired up about it, couldn't wait to tell me about it. And I remember um, he got on this pretty good kick where he'd lost quite a bit of weight, and he was a pretty uh, muscular kind of guy anyway, pretty, pretty big frame on him. And so he heard that Miami University, which is where I went to school, he heard that Miami was, uh, was doing this bodybuilding competition, and so instead of Mr. Universe, it was called Mr. Miami. 
And he was kind of slimming down, and so he thought, I'm entering that contest just without even thinking, boom. And so he starts on two-a-day weightlifting workouts. And that, that lasted for a couple of weeks, but I'll never forget. He used to, he used to come in. We, we lived in the same house. And so he'd come out of the shower, towel wrapped around his waist, and he'd be like, 80, do I look skinny? <laughs> and he'd like suck his cheeks in because he kind of had a round face, you know? And so he'd just he'd go like this. And uh, he was just, I mean, he was just one of those guys. He was absolutely hilarious. I remember our sophomore year, um, he got really into Amway. You guys remember Amway? Or it's, it's those, you know, like those uh, pyramid-type things where you get a bunch of people under you. If, you. if you're doing that, it's cool. I'm not judging or anything. I'm just telling the story. But um, <laughs> the, so he got fired up about this Amway thing. Just He hears about it. I'm going to make millions. He goes out, and he buys worth of Amway products, like, just to start out, okay? Half of his dorm room is completely full, completely full of products that he never ended up selling or anything. So he was just, he was just a riot, my friend Hassan. I don't know uh, if you know somebody like that who tends to be on the impulsive side, or maybe you can relate a little bit yourself to some of those uh, qualities or characteristics, but we're going to look at someone today who was very much like my friend Hassan. He was actually one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was actually the leader of the disciples. His name was Peter. Peter was this man's man. He was a fisherman by trade, kind of this blue-collar, hard-working guy. But Peter was bold. I mean, this guy did not lack confidence. Peter was not afraid to say anything, to do anything. He was just a leader type. Wherever he went, people would listen to what he was saying. And he had no problem expressing his opinion. He was tremendously outspoken. And really, Peter epitomized this whole idea of act first or speak first, think second. That, that, That was his M.O., Act first, think second. And so we're going to look at some things that Peter did because we're in this bad boys of the Bible series. So we're going to look at some stuff that Peter did that were not his finest moments, okay? But I do have to say right off the bat that that his personality actually lent him to do some pretty cool things as well. One of my favorite moments that, uh, that we see in the Bible is in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, What's happening is that Jesus has been teaching and there's been these, these crowds that have gathered and he's down uh, on, on the side of, the, of a lake. And so uh, it's getting late. I mean, they're just kind of, they had enough for the day. And so Peter, he actually dismisses his disciples. He puts them into a boat and they set it on the lake. And he says, you know, you guys go ahead. I'm going to dismiss the crowds and I'll catch up with you guys later. You guys go on the other side of the lake. I'll meet you over there. So they're rowing for a couple of hours. It, it's windy. The, the water is choppy. And so they're out there, and all of a sudden, they start freaking out because they think that they see a ghost. They see this figure walking on the water. And so the disciples, they are, they are petrified. They're freaked out. And then as, as this figure gets a little bit closer, they go, is, is that Jesus? Could that be Jesus out there? And so Peter, he stands up, and he just bold, bold guy. He goes, Jesus if that's you out there, call me out onto the water. I want to walk on the water too, okay? And he actually gets to walk on water. The only other person besides Jesus Christ who's ever walked on water, I mean, maybe David Copperfield. I don't know if he ever, he ever did it, but, but um, 
you know, he, man, that must have been a blast. Now, he only took a couple steps, then he realized what was going on, and he freaked out, and he, and he started sinking, okay? But still, how cool would that be? So Peter's not all bad, but I do have to share with you uh, some of, of the moments, his impro- impulsive personality, his kind of act first, think second personality, got him in some trouble. So let's look first at Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 21. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So you got to understand from the disciples' perspective, Jesus up to this point, man, he's been, he's been teaching all this stuff. He's been getting this incredible following of people. He's been doing these miracles. And they're just thinking, man, this guy's going to come. We're going to conquer the world. This is the kingdom advancing right here on earth. And they're so fired up about it. And then he turns and he starts to explain to them that actually he came not to conquer everybody as like some sort of a military power, but actually came to suffer and die and that our healing would be of a spiritual nature. And so he's explaining this to them. Well, here comes Peter, okay? Never afraid to, to speak up. Just whatever impulsive, whatever thought he has, boom, it's coming out. Check this out, verse 22. This is about as bold as you'll ever see in the Bible right here by a human being. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Now, That word rebuke, when you look at it in the Greek, that has to do with speaking as one who has authority over somebody else, okay? So this isn't just Peter being like, oh, no, 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 no. Peter, you can almost imagine like Peter's in a posture, not that this was literally happening this way, where he's like, Jesus, and he's kind of, he's giving it to Jesus, okay? So so check out what what it says. He says, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. He's not kind of saying it in this way of disbelief, like, oh, you know, could this, could this be? This can't happen. Don't let this happen. No, no, he's saying, this is, the, this is really the, the, the tone of what's happening, okay? He goes, Jesus, you need to suck it up, man. This is not the way this is going to go down, okay? Let's, let's be bold about this thing, okay? This is not the plan. Let's go, Jesus, okay? So that's the tone that Peter uses with Jesus. See, Peter cannot wrap his mind around this idea that the kingdom is actually going to advance through Jesus' death and resurrection, that he's going to die for the forgiveness of our sins and isn't going to actually go and, and kind of take things over in this life. It says that Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if you've ever called somebody Satan. Um, it's not recommended. Um, that's about the worst thing that you could possibly say to somebody. And you might be going, you know, doesn't Jesus kind of fly off the handle a little bit here? I mean, isn't he? I mean, yeah, Peter rebukes Jesus. And that's a big deal. That's a big, bold move. But, I mean, is Jesus getting a little amped up over nothing here? I mean, how, why did he have to come on so strong to Peter? I want you to check out these next few words. They're very important in understanding the context of what's going on here. He says to Peter, okay, he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. Now, the reason he said that was because you have to remember, Peter was both fully God and fully human, okay? Jesus had a human side. 
that was susceptible to being tempted, that was vulnerable, that would get tired. I mean, Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. So he was perfect. Even though he was tempted and he struggled, he never sinned. So what he's saying there to Peter actually harkens back to Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And the devil basically said to Jesus, look, you don't have to go this direction. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to suffer and die. Why don't you just join up with my team, Jesus? Just rebel. It'll be so much easier. The human side of you will not have to deal with all this suffering and all this humiliation and all this stuff that's going to come with it. So there was this tremendous temptation, and Jesus resisted that. So that's part of what's going on there, is Jesus saying, look, this is hard enough, Peter. This is hard enough for me. Okay, don't sit there and tell me that I need to go a different direction. But then check out what he says next. He says, you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He's saying, Peter, you just don't get it, man. So shut up, okay? Just be quiet. Just rebukes him right back. Then we see in John chapter 13, now we're fast-forwarding to Jesus' last night with his disciples. So they were going to have this, this last meal together. This is the night that Jesus was arrested. And um, it was customary that when you would go to have a meal, that you uh, would have your feet washed. Because in those days, they didn't have uh, you know, the nice shoes that we have today. I, my, my nephew had a birthday party yesterday, like customized these Reeboks, you know, like you can do, I mean, it's amazing what you can do with shoes these days, but they didn't have shoes back then or, or they had sandals or something else like that. And so, and they didn't have good sewage systems. And so you can just imagine what kind of stuff was on the ground. So what would happen is before a meal, there would be whoever was the, the servant who was there would, would wash the feet. And this was like the most degrading, humiliating assignment that you could have. I mean, it was the lowliest person would have to do this. So they come uh, to the time when they're supposed to have the meal, and Jesus um, takes a a towel and he he wraps it around his waist, and he basically tells the disciples that he's going to wash their feet. The Messiah, the Son of God, going to wash their feet. He starts washing their feet, and then it says in verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. What's going on there? Peter is going, this is crazy. This is the son of God almighty. Come down to this earth. This is our long-awaited Messiah. There is no way that he is going to defile himself. There is no way that he is going to kneel at my feet and wash my dirty feet. That is not the way Jesus should be treated. That's not the way it's going to go down. It says Jesus responds to Peter, just totally puts him back in line. He says, look, unless I wash you, Peter, you have no part with me. Again, Peter just doesn't get it. He speaks up. Jesus says, man, Sit down, shut up, let me wash your feet. Then we go to John chapter 18. So now they've had their last supper, and they're actually in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was a place where they were when Jesus was arrested. And so one of his disciples, Judas, had made a deal with some of the religious authorities to to turn Jesus over for some money. And so Judas leads the high priest and some other officials to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he knew Jesus would be. And so the disciples are there with Jesus, and as the authorities start to close in on them, it says this. It says, then Simon Peter 
This is uh, verse 10 of John 18. And Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew his sword, and he struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. And it says the servant's name was Malchus. And so what Peter was basically doing there is he's like, oh, no, no, no. We are not going down without a fight. So he sees these guys coming, just man of action, you know, act first, think second. He just whips out that sword, and he just goes to hack off this guy's head. That's what he does. And the guy ducks like this, just gets his ear. Just gets his ear, boom, just takes it right off. Once again, Peter just is not getting, he's got a fundamental disconnect with, the, with God's plan and what Jesus ultimately came to do. It says in verse 11, so he cuts off the guy's ear and Jesus commanded Peter, he said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? He's basically saying, look, it, it's, it's the Father's will. I have to do this. I have got to go to the cross to die for the sins of everybody in this world. That's how this plan is going to work. So over and over and over again, what we see is Peter not getting it, just impulsively reacting in the moment, never afraid to speak. Peter got a big heart. He's got a big mouth. Now, Jesus never married, and Jesus never had children. But I actually think that he kind of experienced what it was like to be a parent because of Peter. I mean, Peter is very much like my three-year-old daughter, Juliet who is just constantly needing to be redirected all the time. Whatever she sees, whatever feels good, whatever looks good, she's going after it. I'm constantly correcting her, telling her, oh, don't do this, come on, let's go over here. That's what Jesus had to do with Peter, like his whole ministry. So in many ways, I think Jesus fully understood parenting. Peter was constantly screwing up. But he had two incredible qualities that are important for us to pay attention to. So if you want to write these in, feel free. The first quality that Peter had is Peter was teachable. He was teachable. In Matthew 15, 15, and in other places in the Bible, what we see is we see Peter going around. And after Jesus would teach, and he would teach with these stories and these parables, and, and they were these amazing things. But Peter was constantly the one who was going up to Jesus and saying, okay, now, hey, that was really a cool story, but could you explain what the heck you were talking about there, Jesus? Because we have no idea. So he was constantly coming up, and he was constantly asking Jesus questions. Jesus taught a lot about forgiveness and loving our enemies. And so Peter approaches him in Matthew 18, 21. It says he he came up to Jesus, and he said, Okay, Lord, got this forgiveness thing, but how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And you guys remember Jesus' response, right? He said, No, not seven times, but... Seven times 70. Very, very good. So he's just constantly in a teachable mode. He's, he's asking questions. He's seeking after Jesus. Even sometimes it wasn't purely, purely for unselfish reasons. Look at Matthew 19, 27. Peter said to Jesus, he says, Jesus, look, we've left everything to follow you. Everything. What then will there be for us? So totally selfishly motivated. But the point is, he's continuing to seek. He's continuing to ask. He's trying to understand the things of God. Jesus was in a teachable posture. That's a big, big deal. The second quality that Peter had is that he was willing. Peter was willing. In Luke chapter 5, we have the story where Jesus was teaching 
a crowd down by the water's edge. And um, it says in verse 4 that when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now just so you know, Simon is also Peter. So Simon was actually his, his given name at birth. Jesus actually used to call him a nickname. He called him Peter. So you'll see him referred to as Simon or Peter or sometimes Simon Peter. All the same guy. So it says, when he finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, important thing, you cannot forget this. Peter was a trained fisherman. Okay, this is what he did for a living. This was his deal. This was his trade. Okay, and Jesus might have been a master rabbi, master teacher, master savior of the world, but Jesus was not a master fisherman. Okay, so here's Peter, and here's how he responds when Jesus said, just go ahead and, and let the nets down for a catch. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. You reading between the lines there? Okay. There's nothing out there, Jesus. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Did you catch those words? Because you say so, I want you to underline that. Because you say so, I will. Peter didn't always understand, but he was open. He was willing to do what Jesus said. He had a because you say so, I will type of attitude. He was willing to do whatever was needed. Didn't always understand, didn't always get it right, but he was open and he was willing and he had a teachable spirit. So here's what I want to ask you guys this morning. Are you teachable? Are you in a teachable posture when you think about your faith, your life, your relationship with God? Are you still asking questions? Or do you find that you can fall into a trap that I sometimes fall into myself, which is, you know, I kind of already know how this story ends. I kind of already know the point of this passage. I kind of already know how this is going to go. Are you still continuing to ask and believe that God still has things that he wants to reveal to you? Because you've got to be really careful that you don't get into this trap where you kind of sense that you've already arrived. You've already made it. You kind of already have all the answers on the answer key. So make sure that you stay in a teachable mode. Continue to ask questions. Continue to seek and ask and knock. God continues to reveal himself to us. And are you willing? Are you willing? Because we live in this 21st century world, and especially because we live in Washington, D.C., we, we have to do something to protect ourselves from going totally insane, okay? What we do to protect ourselves from total insanity is that there's so many opportunities out there for all different kinds of things that our default mechanism to whatever that is that potentially, you know, we, we could do, our default mechanism is always to say, no, nope, not going to do it. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that default mechanism, okay? In fact, that's very important to have that. Because you, you just, if you don't protect yourself, you're going to completely fry yourself and, and just and burn yourself out, okay? So that's good. There's this sense of, I'm going to say no, my initial visceral reaction or whatever it is is going to be no, until I am absolutely convinced that this is something that I need to add to my schedule, that I need to take on my plate, okay? That's a great thing. That's a great thing. 
But it's not a great thing if you do that with God. It's not a great thing if you do that with your faith. You've got to be very careful, and, and this happens to me, okay? You've got to be really careful that this default mechanism of saying, you know, no, no, too busy, got too much, I'm good, I'm good, and until I'm entirely convinced, you cannot let that permeate into your faith. Because what happens is then, you're just completely shutting out. Like maybe, maybe you, you get this little whisper from God, okay? This little prompting from the Spirit. Maybe you're walking along and you see somebody in need. You see some sort of situation that needs your attention, okay? There's something that maybe starts to tug at your heart. If, you're, if your visceral reaction is just, no, 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 I'm good, good. All maxed out, too busy, CC, too crazy, life is, I'm good. I already do my little, do my thing. You can completely miss what the Holy Spirit is leading you to do. You can completely miss it. So when it comes to matters of your faith, remember these words, because you say so, I will. It doesn't mean that you have to take on everything. It's an openness. It's a receptivity. It's at least the opportunity to entertain those things. You know, and I'm not, believe me, I'm not making a plug for anything in the bulletin. I can't even remember what's in the bulletin right now, okay? So I'm not. There's no plug. I promise you. But this just, it's a case in point. When you open that thing up and you see opportunities to serve in the community or to serve at Grace or you see needs or whatever, okay, do you just by default go, oh, no, I'm good? Or are you at least open to responding, okay? Maybe that's a bad example. You think I'm just trying to do too much self-interest up here. But I mean, that's, I'm just trying to illustrate my point. Are you open? Are you willing? Do you have a because you say so, I will type of attitude when it comes to your faith, when it comes to trying to hear from God and be responsive to what God has to say? Because so oftentimes, it's not actually what we set out and plan to do during the day that God might have us do. Now, we haven't even talked about what Jesus, um, not Jesus, what Peter is actually most remembered for. The biggest blunder, the most infamous thing about Peter. What is it? What's he most noted for? Yeah, denying Jesus Christ three times the night that Jesus was arrested. We haven't even talked about that. Now, here's why it's so memorable. Okay, just to refresh your memory. So Jesus is there with his disciples that night. They're having this last meal. It says in Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. It says, then Jesus told them, told his disciples, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. Talking about when he gets arrested. We skip to verse 33. It says, Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, Jesus, I never will. You see how bold, you see how he's just putting out there, all his peers there. This is the leader of the disciples, okay? I never will, Jesus. Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, this very night, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. It says, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Never, Jesus. I mean, you can't get bigger stakes than that. You can't get bolder than that. He's writing the biggest check that he can possibly write. He's signing his name in blood. He's saying, I'm going to go down with this ship, Jesus. You can count on me. I mean, you talk about making a huge statement and then needing to back it up. 
This is it. This is why he is so remembered for this. It's because he was so bold, almost arrogant in just saying, even if all these other, basically, even if all these other guys in the room, I'm here, baby. I mean, can you imagine what they were, there were some nice conversations between the disciples after that went down, right? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool, Peter. Good work, man. Go eat a wheel of cheese. <laughs> so, you can imagine how devastated Peter was. How devastated. Because I believe he wanted to. He wanted to be that guy. And he caved. He caved when the pressure was on. He just didn't have what it took. And so think about this. So Jesus, he then is crucified. He's killed. Well, he's resurrected from the dead. And he appears to his disciples first in Jerusalem, okay? So he first appears to his disciples and some other followers in Jerusalem. And um, you can imagine how bittersweet that must have been for Peter. Because on one hand, I mean, all the stuff that Jesus said, wow, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to be resurrected, and this is for the forgiveness of sins, and this is, I am who I say I am, okay? Only God could could possibly raise from the dead, okay? So basically, he's just validated that he truly is the Messiah. Unbelievable moment for Peter and the rest of the disciples, right? Incredible. But at the same time, imagine that. Okay, imagine you're Peter for a minute, okay? Face-to-face with Jesus in this room where he appeared to the disciples. So you're like, oh, awesome. Wow, this is incredible. This is mind-blowing. This confirms everything. You're so lifted up. But then as Jesus looks you in the eye, you remember, what's the last thing that I did before he was crucified? I denied him. I couldn't stay with him. I caved. I mean, I don't know if Peter could have looked him in the face, you know? So embarrassed, so humiliated. And in front of all those guys who witnessed the whole deal, witnessed him boldly making that declaration. You can imagine how bittersweet, how amazing that must have been, and how crushing that must have been for Peter. Well, it says that after that appearance, Jesus told them to go on Galilee, the scriptures tell us. So they went on Galilee where a lot of the ministry happened. And um, Jesus said, I'll meet you there. And he appeared to them again in Galilee. And that's where we're going to end this message is in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. So they're actually out fishing, which is what they kind of knew best what to do. They were waiting on Jesus. And... um, So Jesus comes, and there's this other miraculous catch of fish that Jesus orchestrates, and then he basically buys them dinner, you know, as only Jesus can. So um, so it says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now you've got to remember, the disciples are there, okay? So just like he he boldly, publicly made this, you know, I'll never leave you, Jesus, with all the guys there. Now that he's with the disciples, again, okay, so this this is a public deal. It says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs, Peter. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says he answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? You know why I was so hurt, right? Three denials. Three times. There's no coincidence there, okay? Jesus is making a very deliberate point here. So he asked him the third time, do you love me? And it says that Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus knew that Peter was wrecked. He knew he was devastated by what he'd done. And so what Jesus does here is awesome. He gives Peter three opportunities in front of the disciples in a public way to reaffirm his commitment to Jesus Christ, to reaffirm his love for Jesus. And then, each time, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. What, what Jesus is saying there is basically this. He's saying, Peter, you're the anointed leader of this ragtag group of disciples, okay? Sheep, what sheep was code for was all those who would come to believe in the shepherd, which was Jesus Christ. Jesus called himself the shepherd. So he says, feed my sheep. He's saying, you know what? You got a huge job to do. This, this is your ministry we're talking about, okay? So what he's really saying to Peter there when he says, feed my sheep, is he's saying, look, go, okay? I called you years ago, and I'm calling you again today into this massive, awesome challenge called ministry, okay? We got tons of work ahead of us. You need to go and be the leader that I know you are. You can do it, Peter. What's, what's in the past is in the past. You, we've just made all that straight. He publicly reinstates Peter. And he says, go and lead with everything you've got, man. I believe in you. What's past is past. We're going to celebrate communion to close out the service. And so if you are serving communion today, go ahead and, and grab the elements. And if you could go ahead and get into your, your places. What we see with Peter is just an awesome reminder of who God is. You see, just the way that Jesus addressed Peter and he said, look, I am so not concerned with the past. I'm concerned with what's ahead. This is the very thing that we celebrate every time we take communion. The bread that you will take and you will dip into the cup That bread represents Christ's body that was broken for us. The cup represents Christ's blood. Please don't drink the cup, okay? We had someone try to do that once. It just gets weird, okay? Just dip the bread. Just dip the bread right into the cup. That's a beautiful thing. If you could do that, okay? And just take, take and eat it. That'd be great. But communion, it's this awesome reminder to all of us, okay? I mean, you just look at Peter, okay? Look at, look at Peter and we didn't even get to all of it, okay? We just, got, we just got a small sampling of all the times that Peter was severely humbled by Jesus, that he was, was corrected, that he was rebuked. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, as I look back, I have things that I am not proud of. I have th- mistakes that I've made, things that I've done that I'm just like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. The good news for all of us is that God is not concerned with the past. That's exactly the point of Jesus Christ coming. 
Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that no matter what we have done in our life, it's totally wiped clean. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west. So just a second. Uh, Ryan's going to play some music for us and um, you just come as you feel led to take communion. But just come with this promise that God is not interested in our past. God is interested only in what is ahead of us in us moving forward. So as you come, receive that forgiveness. Receive that clean slate because God has offered it to us. And remember when you come that when God asks us to move forward in our life, not to continue to look backward, but as you look forward, ask yourself, am I teachable? Am I continuing to seek out? Am I continuing to try and hear God's voice? Or do I think I've got it all figured out? And am I willing? Am I open? Do I have a because you say so, I will type of attitude? As you come forward, think about these things. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Peter. What a, what a great uh, guy. Uh, we thank you because it's encouraging to us that we've all messed up, God. And uh, the number of times that you smacked Peter around and, you, and, and the way that you just still breathed life into him at the end and, and, and just still just sent him out and reminded him of your love. What an awesome thing, God. And, and we take hold of that. God, help us to not look in the past and, and, and not to let that hold us back or, or, or stop us from just being totally receptive to what you might have us do going forward, starting right now. God, just visit with each one of us now as we receive communion. We pray in Christ's name.